Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mystic Lighthouse. We've got a great show ahead of us, full of sightings, experiences, and encounters. So without further ado, let's get started. Our first story is from Kelly. She tells us of an instance of missing time, followed by a few more unexplainable experiences. Hi, my name is Kelly Lowry, and I was asked to share a couple of stories from my life about um, seeing or possibly seeing UFO activity. So um, let me start out by saying that my first first instance was um, about 21 years ago. I was actually pregnant, and my husband and I were in bed, and I he was asleep. And I was falling asleep, and I'm sure many would say that this was a dream. But the next thing I remember is the wall had just disappeared from our home, and I could see outside, and it was dark, and I could see across this um, back road, a gravel road, and there was a huge open field with a barn out in the middle of it, and um, I could see that. It all lit up. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is definitely very bright. What is going on here? And I see my husband at the time walking. So it was like he just walked out of our house. The wall disappeared. He just walks out. And I'm following him because now I'm curious. And I realize, and I I guess I keep thinking to myself, am I dreaming? Like, this has to be a dream. I know that I just kept telling myself, like, this can't be real. And a couple times I shouted to him, and he did not turn around. Um, And I just remember thinking how unusual. And as if we got closer and closer, then that's it. I just remember then waking up in my bed the next morning. And as soon as I looked at him, I said... I had the most bizarre dream last night that I was I couldn't get to you. I was following you and and he looked at me and said I had the same exact dream. I could hear you yelling for me and I just kept walking towards a light. So we both immediately just kind of like, you know, we're very questioning like wow, this is we realized how bizarre it was. Over the years we didn't really share it with too many people except for people who were close to us. You know, now years later, um, fast forward, another experience I had actually, which is on the same exact road, but this time I was in my car coming home. I worked third shift as a home health nurse and I was coming home from work and I was on this um, back gravel road and um, ahead of me all of a sudden was this humongous, huge light in the road and I was still a ways back, you know, and I was driving rather slow as you have to on gravel roads and it was you know right before daybreak so it was still dark out this huge bright light just in the road and I'm just driving towards it and I remember slowing down and I remember even saying out loud like geez buddy I don't know what kind of headlights you got but it's time for you to turn them off and um, the closer and closer I got it was brighter and brighter and I eventually remember stopping my car and putting both feet on my brake. And then the next thing I remember, I'm sitting in my driveway, still both feet on the brake, and immediately thought to myself, well, that was really strange because I 
didn't have any recollection of how long, you know, I should have been home within probably 30 seconds after that. I don't really know how much time had passed. It was daylight at the time, but very, very wee early daybreak. So, you know, it could have been minutes, definitely no longer than an hour. Um, Yeah, that's a very unusual situation. So those were two huge, huge things in my life. Now, my husband that I mentioned earlier that I had the experience with the first time, he's now deceased, unfortunately. um, And he had expressed to me many times over the years of missing time. Um, He was even a known sleepwalker as a child um, that he always claimed. But as an adult, he did not sleepwalk other than that one incident that I ever noticed. Um, And he actually claimed for many, many years that he swore he had something embedded in his the back of his shoulder blade he swore by it for years he did have an odd mark almost looked like um, a bb or you know a pencil piece of lead obviously it was never tested nothing like that you know these weren't really stories we went around telling people because uh, you know honestly it creeped us out as well i have to admit um Yeah, so that is my story. Um, I'm constantly looking to the sky. I have to say there's probably maybe two other times in my life that the possibility could be that I saw an unidentified object. At least it was unidentifiable to me. Um, one, One other time was just by myself down on the Ohio River um, at night. And then another time was in my yard, uh, same location of the country, location that I've been talking about all along. Um, that is actually right across the border of Athens County and it's uh, Morgan County. So it's on the line of Morgan County, Athens County property out in the country. And it's a big, beautiful sky. And then the lights from anything light up. Um, Yeah, so that's my story, and um, I'm a believer. I'm only a believer because I can't prove that something isn't true, and, you know, just because I don't understand it and I can't explain it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I'm open to all the possibilities, and to my knowledge, if there is something out there and they're here visiting us, even if they're experimenting on us, I don't feel traumatized. I feel more um, curious yeah so that's my story and thank you i hope this is useful and i hope that it brings other people's stories out our next story is from reddit user zavicus he tells us of a few creepy experiences he had while in college so i hail from the great state of south dakota um really really flat and uh wide open area um currently i'm going to school in brookings uh at south dakota state university which is a land grant state or land grant school that uh was put up uh in the early 90s Uh, we got so many random things on campus however the biggest thing is an area of the campus known as uh, ghost town Ghost Town consists of Winona, Coda, Winetta, Scobie, and West Halls. Admin building is sort of over there too, but it's an incredibly new. But the administration's building is incredibly new, so it doesn't really count. But uh, the stories behind those areas and the Ghost Town area in and of itself is a wild one to say the least. Winona, Wakoda, and Winetta are three sister halls. Um, Winona and Wakoda came up first and they put an annex in between that. It was Winona was guy's dorm and Wakoda was women's dorm. All the way up to the mid-90s. Uh, whilst uh, dorms like Brown Hall, uh, 
Hyde Hall, uh, Honors Hall, and all these random halls were being put up. Uh, so those have histories in and of themselves, including the uh, Winona, the Waving Lady of, the, of Winona Hall. Uh, in mid '90s, a I think she was a sophomore or a junior. Um, there was a big party going on in Winona, and this girl um, had a, basically essentially an entire keg of beer in her system, walked out to the balcony because both of those buildings have uh, second or third story balconies to them. She walked out to the balcony and wanted to touch the stars and was incredibly drunk and incredibly high and fell off the balcony and uh, died upon impact said that nowadays if you take a stroll by Winona Lakota around uh, 10 30 11 o'clock at night especially in the summer or the spring sometimes in the fall too but that's a rare occasion uh, you can see the girl in the window will wave at you she's a very 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 kind spirit we like her uh, down in the basement of Lakota there's a lot of uh, what are now philosophy, or not philosophy, but psychology classes and the upper echelons of psychology classes. Uh, down in the basement, those uh, basement areas are incredibly, incredibly weird because the way that they're set up, they've essentially been refurbished at least seven or eight times ever since Lakota uh, stopped being a dorm and went to uh, classroom slash offices, which it now is. There's also child psychology programs, we believe, but don't have any concrete proof because it's very hush-hush but on second and third floor there's uh, uh, experiments going on up there for psychological uh, purposes down in the basement the ghosts will continuously attempt to shut and open doors and keep uh, students and faculty inside of the building which is a massive uh, massive issue that they still try and uh, to this day, but they can't. I guess the ghost down there just wants something to play with. Now into the big two of, uh, of the area. Well, there's also Winetta, which up until 20, which during the 2020 season, uh, during COVID, became quarantine housing. So first and second floors of uh, Winetta, which sits behind Lakota and Ramona, um, and West, they all sit on a single block. That's why it's called Ghost Town. Um, was COVID uh, housing and essentially the entirety of first floor when Netta is off limits due to biochemical hazards because of how badly uh, cooped up the people got whilst they were uh, dealing with COVID during the 2020 year. Uh, so there's a couple of rooms down there that are condemned and there is I believe at least one documented case of somebody passing away. Uh, due to COVID, um, that was a resident of those rooms. Uh, West Hall and Scobie Hall are the main two that are the creepiest of them all. West Hall was purchased in 1969 by SDSU and was used as housing uh, during its early stages, whilst um, the twin dorms of Benoe's and Young Hall were being built and finished up in 1969. It was purchased for $750,000 by, by the college from the Brookings uh, community. Before that, it was used as the Brookings Area General Hospital. Um, um, it's a two-story building with a third, with an extra third story that is completely condemned. That third little alcove was known as the surgical suite. They had a, an elevator that ran from the surgical suite down to the basement so that way they could easily get rid of corpses of people who died on the operating table. Um, and if you go up there and attempt to be a part of that or go wandering around up there, you are likely to fall through three floors down to the basement because it is so rotten up there. Down in the basement, they had uh, chronic illness and long-term care. 
as well as the morgue however whether or not the morgue is down there like fully intact is still up for debate however many 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 people believe it is and several people know that it is including somebody who is a faculty on campus i can't remember his name but he was born in said hospital and is adamant that uh the building has a morgue downstairs um I've seen somewhat inside of the building or the basement, however, most of it is closed off due to asbestos buildup. Um, but there is a side door to the building that uh, leads out to the street to an, to an adjacent street of the area. Um, it runs down, goes all the way down, and connects to Hanson Hall, which is a whole other story in and of itself. Um, where the bricks of said doorway are paved over almost like there used to be a door down leading down to the basement but it was completely taken out paved over and blocked up and it's now sitting and leads to the first floor of west hall uh, if you go down there and you shine a flashlight into some of the rooms you can see the yellow wall the yellow wallpaper uh, plastering a couple of the rooms and this is not confirmed but I believe I saw some old morgue tables um, slash operating tables that are still sitting down in a small storage room in the left side of the basement, left back side. You can go around the back into a little parking lot and look up and there's a little alcove and you can spot the surgical suite. Um, Hanson Hall, sorry, West Hall has a middle area. Um, on the second floor and that window is it's the outside of the surgical suite it leads to the surgical suite and you can see and watch um, the blind or the uh, curtains almost every other uh, office building in West Hall has blinds but this is the only one that has curtains that you can see and the curtains will move and shift, um, even though it's completely uh, cordoned off and there's nobody allowed to be in there. Uh, safer uh, utilities trying to check on random things up in there. There's no airflow allowed through that because it could damage. Um, it could damage internal components of the building, I guess. That was, that was the reason that I was given when I asked about it. Um, and then across the street, there's an empty lot known as, that was the former set of Scobie Hall. Scobie Hall's torn down. They finished tearing it down in 2021 and used uh, uh, tuition fees uh, or tuition money to do it. Uh, Scobie Hall, uh, the history that I've been given about it is it was the former Brookings County Psychiatric Ward. Um, good old padded room type psychiatric ward until the 50s uh, it was purchased i think in 1956 uh, where it was used as high level clinical psychology or psychiatry and psychology um, and the stories that i've been told are is there were padded rooms down in the basement basement right hand side as and everything like that and we're talking old school padded rooms with straight jackets um, if you walk past that at night, you can, and you stand on the plots, like, you feel like you're sinking into the dirt, and the dirt is grabbing you, which is terrifying. Uh, the previously mentioned, uh, moving curtain of West Hall, uh, the eyes, you will see beady eyes that'll follow you. There's like two or three pairs. If you look down in the basement, you just get this oppressive feeling like, like you're stuck there. And you're just, every time that people walk past West Hall, they get a sense of overwhelming sadness and depression. And even talking about it right now, I'm, gonna get, I'm tearing up uh, because of it. Uh, just even thinking about it, thinking about what would have went on, 
uh, there was many issues of staff, both former and current, because now West Hall has uh, high-level psychology offices located in the back of the building. Um, there was a portion of the basement that used to be safe, however, I don't believe it's safe anymore. But it was offices as well down there, and people have reported carrying on entire conversations, um, but they're really only ones that would be there. There's many people who have said that they will not go into certain parts of the building because of the fact that they are constantly being watched, watched by something. Um, faculty and utilities very, very, very rarely go into West Hall due to feelings of unease and jitteriness and just an overall like constant feeling of oppressing dread and sadness and depression um, just emanate from that entire block uh, from the sadness that came out of people trapped in the first floor of Winetta to the lost souls of Wakoda and Winona to the girl who still waves and thinks that she's partying even though um, she died tragically off of the balcony to the many lives that were lost as well as brought into the world and saved um, at West Hall and those who were eternally trapped in their own mindscapes um, in the basements of SCOBY. Um, that entire area is an incredibly depressing area to be bombed. Incredibly, incredibly oppressive and sad area. And it spills over into Hanson Hall as well as the Campanile where I believe in the 1940s or 50s a kid uh, hung himself from the top of the Campanile which is across the way, across the road from uh, Ghost Town. It's certainly not the only places that are haunted on the SDSU campus, however there are that's where the highest concentration of it. If you also want some good ghouls, uh, uh, there is a janitor that stays around Raven Hall um, and vibes in the break room of Raven Hall, Raven Precision Agriculture Hall, uh, as well as never, ever, 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 ever going to the Arboretum slash the gardens across from the big east parking lot at night due to things that will keep you in the gardens for the rest of your very soon to be very short life i don't even dare speak what they are called just know that it's not a fun thing to run into but yeah sdsu has a plethora of ghosts and ghouls most of them are pretty chill however some of them if you know where the hot spots are you know what exactly happened there the history of some of these buildings you know what to look out for and what to and what you be what you can feel safe around and what you should probably run over screaming and crying from yeah just stay away from west our next entry is from ben he tells us of an unexplained sighting he had while driving. A few years ago, I worked at a P.F. Chang's not too far from me. Not a bad job as it was something to keep me busy and to earn myself some money before starting my next semester of college. One night, it was just like any other night. Things were slowing down and I was getting ready to head home. I took the route I normally took and Honestly, nothing seemed off about the night. Well, this wasn't until I noticed that I was the only car on the road. For clarification, my shifts typically ended around 10.30, and there aren't too many cars driving at that time, especially on weekdays. But I would at least see a few pairs of headlights on my commute home. On that night, however, there weren't any. The night was still and quiet, but I didn't really pay much attention to it, honestly, since I had my music playing through my car speakers. 
but little did I know that I was about to see something that I could only describe as something that clearly didn't belong. I turn onto the road that leads up to the stop sign turning into my development. At that very moment, my eyes immediately focused on something that was right in front of me. The creature was about two or three cars lengths away from me, so I got a pretty good look at it. The creature was on the road, walking towards me on all fours, straight on. If I can give a description of this thing, then I would say that it looked like a dog, but something didn't seem right. First off, it was much too big to be a dog. You may say it might have been just a really big dog or wolf. But I don't live where wolves are, and I know this couldn't have been a dog. And secondly, by the way this creature walked, it didn't look at all natural. It was in a crouch-like position, as if it was curious as to what I was. And if it was a dog, or any other nocturnal woodland creature, it would have at least moved as I approached, right? Like, at least run away or something. It was almost like it was pretending to be a dog. Its eyes glowed too, either from its nocturnal nature or something otherworldly. It was light in color, probably gray, but my headlights didn't directly shine onto it and it was partially in the dark. Keep in mind that I kept on driving forward while I was looking at it, and at that moment I just wanted to get the hell away from that thing. When I made the turn into my development, I didn't look back. I couldn't. This might sound silly, but I was worried that it might follow me home. But luckily it didn't. I could promise that that night I didn't get much sleep. And to this day, it left an impression in my memory that I could never shake off. If what I saw was just a nocturnal animal, then something was definitely wrong with it. But if it was what I thought it was, then there's a chance that this creature is still out there lurking. Ever so often, I get the feeling that it may still be out there watching me. Our next entry is an anonymous one. We hear about her experiences with a haunted church. I work for a 200-year-old church, and it's haunted. The church campus consists of the sanctuary, the office, an empty, decrepit house where the priest used to live that was later used as a meeting space until it was condemned, and a cemetery with the oldest graves being those of War of 1812 soldiers. All of the buildings have stone exteriors. A priest died in the house in the late 1800s. He was old, so nothing nefarious there, but he still haunts the place, which seems odd to me since he was a priest and obviously he believed in heaven, etc. Why stick around? When I first started working there, I was in the office with a member of the congregation who told me that on several occasions when they left the old house and turned off all the lights, they would turn around and see lights that had switched back on inside through the windows. I believe in the paranormal and have had an experience myself, so I was intrigued. When I left the office that day by myself, I turned off the lights. At the last light switch, I felt almost an electric buzz through my finger. The office itself is old, so it wouldn't have surprised me if something wasn't grounded right, etc. I didn't think anything unusual about it. I went back to my desk to grab my things and lock the door and the light switch I had turned off was on. Keep in mind this was the same day as when I found out about the priest. I've tried asking him again to show me any sign that he's there but he's never done anything else in the four years I've been working there. But without asking, I've seen flashes of light in a dark windowless room. I'm not sure if it was paradiolia, but I saw a man cross in front of my headlights and disappear. He had dark hair and was wearing a white shirt. He was about 10 feet away from me and didn't even turn to look at the car, just 
walked and disappeared. I once unlocked the deadbolt on the door to the church, and when I went to turn the knob to go inside, something turned it the opposite way in my hand. This was during lockdown, so definitely no one was inside. I ran. I've seen motion detector lights outside turn on by themselves. And when I've jumped in front of them, waving my hands, they've never come on. I heard this one from my boss who's a priest. The organist was practicing by themselves in the church when a pencil went flying across the room. My boss also told me that members have said they've seen the priest looking out of the windows of the house. The decrepit house is supposed to be torn down within the next year or two. I'm not sure how or if that will affect the priest who won't leave. Maybe he finally will. Up next is Reddit user Ghoul Goddess. She tells us of an encounter she had with a cloaked figure. So this happened when I was in elementary school. I think I was around eight years old. I was walking with my mom, dad, and our neighbor's dog, and it was around dusk. And you know, I'm scared. I was scared of the dark, so I was getting a little. I was getting a little nervous. I remember I felt like someone was like watching me, so I looked across the street and I saw this weird cloaked figure. It looked like someone who had a heavy blanket around them. There was no skin showing, there was no face, but rather just like a black hole. The creature walked sluggishly and was almost dragging its feet. It looked really sad, but also like when I looked at it, I felt sad too. It never looked at me. It just kept looking ahead, and it was almost like the creature was walking the same pace as my parents. When cars would pass, light would seem to go through the figure. The Our neighbor's dog like started barking at it, but my parents didn't see anything, so they just kept walking. Nothing strange happened after I saw it, but you know I am a victim of child abuse, so I kind of just thought it was some weird projection on how I was feeling. Some people have been telling me that it could have been an energy harvester, but I don't really know what that is. And, you know, to this day, it's kind of a mystery. Our last submission is from YouTube channel Furberry's Fables. They tell us of an encounter they had with a skinwalker. My name is Brad and I'm 39. I live in Canada in the province of Saskatchewan, and I believe that I've encountered a skinwalker. To start with, let me tell you a bit about the area. Saskatchewan is a beautiful and wild place, with a landmass of 652,000 square kilometers and a population of a little over a million people. It's a lot of open space and not a lot of things to fill it. In places, you can see for what feels like a hundred miles with nothing to obstruct your view. The air has a special clarity to it and throughout the spring and summer months, it carries a feeling of birth and life and renewal that can't really be explained, only experienced. It's definitely way too cold for way too much of the year, but seeing the harsh winter disappear is really something to behold. One day the ground is covered in snow and ice, the temperature is below zero, and my dogs can barely be talked into walking down the steps from the deck to the lawn to do their business. Then, seemingly a day later, the snow is all but gone, the sun is shining, and having to step outside no longer feels like a punishment. Then all at once everything explodes into a flurry of activity. Trees that were bare and lifeless yesterday are suddenly green. The sky is filled with insects you had hoped would not be back. Mosquitoes the size of small pigeons buzz through evening skies redolent with the smell of earth being turned in the fields. The preparation for another year's labor has begun. Saskatchewan grows grain crops that feed the world. It's funny, really. I've lived here all of my adult life, having come from Toronto at 18, and I still regularly stop and look around in breathless wonder at the sheer beauty that surrounds me. It's called the land of the living skies because of the sunsets we enjoy here. They are like nowhere else in the world and have to be seen to be believed. Red, orange, pink, purple, and golden light splays through cloud-laced, darkening skies and after more than 20 years, I still stop and watch. But my favorite time has to be late fall, when the leaves have all gone off the trees and the nighttime frost doesn't melt during the day. 
Sometimes late at night, you can step outside into the still and frozen hush and look up into a clear sky dripping with diamonds to see the northern lights dance and play through the air. I recall one night shortly after moving into this town standing on my deck at about 1am. The world was asleep. The highway is too distant to hear the occasional car traveling down it in the night, and the four-mile access road into town was empty of traffic. I was alone, and I felt it. This great weight of solitude. I looked up and saw the northern lights. You never really get used to it. Watching bright green streaks of light flash and ripple across the sky is awe-inspiring. Suddenly, the stillness was broken by the sound of a pack of nearby coyotes, and as I stood there watching the sky, listening to the animals yipping and howling, that sense of isolation came over me stronger than ever, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I wept until the tears dried cold on my face. Not out of sorrow, but from gratitude, because I felt like this display of simple, natural beauty in life and the majesty of the universe had been meant for me alone to see and experience and keep with me always. I'm not going to tell you the name of the town I actually live in. I don't want to take even a small chance that someone would come looking, but I'll tell you a bit about it. I guess the first thing to say is that it's small. You can stand at the southwest corner and see both the northern and east edges of town. It wouldn't take long at all to walk every street and see all that we have to offer. We have a population of around 500 people. The business district is entirely contained to one block of Main Street and boasts a post office and bank among a few shops. It's a quiet place, a safe place. You can send your kids out to play and not worry about who they might encounter. The biggest concern we faced this year was the morning a cougar was spotted in town. Not even a big deal as long as you keep your pets inside. Cougars are afraid of people and will avoid a confrontation whenever possible. We have a school which teaches kindergarten through grade 12 all in the same building. This past year's graduating class was about six kids. It's a nice place. It's my home. And until recently, somewhere I felt safe. Thursday, August 11th was a day like any other. It was warm, but overcast and raining on and off all day. I was disappointed because there was supposed to be a supermoon that night, the last one of 2022. I wanted to see it, but I figured the sky would still be cloudy and I'd be shit out of luck. But come about 9pm, the cloud cover blew away and dying sunlight was streaming through my living room windows. Daylight fades slowly this time of year on the prairies, so it would be a while yet before the moon would be visible. I was enjoying a quiet evening at home as usual just relaxing on the couch and watching some TV. My two dogs were particularly energetic, chasing each other through the house and playing tug-of-war with different toys. Sam, the younger of the two, is an SPCA rescue of no determinate breed. I saw a picture of him on their website and was instantly in love. He's a little black ball of fuzz and a partial ocular albino. He has one normal-colored dark brown eye, and the other one is a very pale blue. He can see equally well out of both of them. They're just different colors. He's dumb as a sack of hammers, but he's happy. He's my good boy. Juno came from a friend whose dogs had puppies. She's half pit bull and half black lab, but her appearance and mannerisms are 100% blue-nosed pit bull. She's loyal and fierce and protects her home, her yard, and her dad as though she expects an enemy invasion is imminent. She's also chubby, silly, and in truth a huge suck. She's about 90 pounds, but fully believes herself to be a lapdog, and cannot handle life unless someone is loving on her, at all times. Juno is the self-appointed keeper of all toys and treats. Sam is not allowed to play with anything unless Juno gives her express permission, and she is not usually in a sharing mood, even if it's a toy she hasn't so much as sniffed at in weeks. Sam absolutely knows how much it pisses her off to see him with her stuff, and he uses it as a tactic to make her chase him around and fight over whatever the item in contention is. A game to him, and a mission for her. It had been going on for about an hour, and the sounds of claws on hardwood and barking growling dogs was starting to get a bit tiresome. The sun had set by now, and looking out my back door I could see the already bright moonlight pouring through the glass. I often take the mutts on a nighttime walk before bed, 
and I thought that it would make a good excuse to get outside and have a look at the moon. Hopefully the dogs would burn off some of this crazy energy they seemed to have by the time we got home and settled in for the night. We have a particular route that we usually take. My house is right near the edge of town, and within minutes we can be away from the houses and the reach of the streetlights. We walked up the block past the school, and very soon we were strolling down a gravel road. To my left and right, fields of canola almost ready for harvest blew gently back and forth in the night breeze, the smells of life and growing things lifting from the earth with the escaping heat of the day. Overhead, the sky was crystal clear and the moon looked every bit as large and bright and detailed as I could have hoped for. The night sky was alive with distant twinkling jewels, and the moon was a brilliant glowing centerpiece, casting more than enough light to see by as we made our way along the road. Sam and Juno don't really need to be leashed during our nighttime journeys, as they always stay close enough for me to at least hear them, and if I call, they are both well-behaved enough to come back to me right away, so I've never really worried about it. I'm sure they enjoy the freedom of wandering wherever their noses take them, and they usually stick together, so I just let them explore as I stared up into the huge, incredible moon, and my thoughts began to wander. And that's all I know. I couldn't tell you a single thing I thought about while I walked that dark road. I don't remember any of the landscape as I passed, but as my thoughts returned to my surroundings, I realized I didn't even know where I was. An almost crippling sensation of disorientation washed over me, and I found myself short of breath and almost in a panic as I wondered, how had I gotten here? I mean, I had been lost in thought for a couple of minutes, but surely no more than that. I know the area around town well, having spent many hours walking and driving along the back roads, but nothing I saw looked familiar to me at all. I took a glance around quickly and didn't see Sam or Juno anywhere nearby and my panic quickly increased. I called out to them, and I did not at all care for the shaky quality of my voice. I was scared. I had no idea where I was, or how long I had even been walking. That time was somehow lost to me. In my mind, I had left the house no more than 15 minutes ago, and there was no way I could be lost. I heard a loud rustling and shaking in the long grass to the side of the road, and I was more than a little relieved when the dogs came running out of it to my side. I bent down to them, petting them both and taking some comfort from their warm and familiar bodies. I started to calm down a little, and began looking around to try and identify where I was or the direction home lay in. I stood in the middle of the road and looked in one direction, then the other. Behind me, maybe half a kilometer back, I saw thick woods begin abruptly and the road disappeared in its shadows. I must have come through that way, but I definitely don't remember any woods, nor can I think of anywhere near town where there's a forest of any size. In front of me, the road continued on for maybe only another hundred meters, and I could see a sign with a blinking red light above it. I didn't need to get any closer to make out what the sign and light were indicating. It was a dead end. I didn't know what to make of this at all, but at least I had narrowed down which way to head. I turned and began walking down the road towards the strange, out-of-place forest. At this point, the dogs seemed to pick up on my feelings. They were walking just ahead of me, staying close together, and sniffing the air in front of them cautiously. We were about five minutes into the woods when I realized there weren't any animal or insect noises at all. There was no buzzing of night-feeding mosquitoes, no chirping of birds, no sound of small animals, like raccoons moving through the brush. Saskatchewan is teeming with wildlife, and nighttime in the prairies is a symphony of life moving on apace. Small animals eating and being eaten. The hoot of an owl riding soft thermal currents and hunting for field mice and rabbits. I heard none of these common and comforting nighttime noises, and now that I had noticed it, the silence seemed heavy and somehow sinister. I quickened my pace as my anxiety grew, and suddenly a terrible smell carried on the breeze hit me like a punch in the face. The smell of death and rot is not uncommon here. We have a huge population of animals like deer and moose, and finding one dead in a field or by the side of the road is just a thing that happens. The smell that assaulted my senses that night was similar, but on a scale I can't explain. It was bad enough to make my eyes water and the bile rise in my throat. 
and then I began hearing sounds in the trees to the right side of the road. Quick running footsteps in short bursts and coming closer. Like someone was running from tree to tree, pausing at each one to hide briefly, maybe to make sure they couldn't be seen, before coming a bit closer. The dogs heard it too. Sam immediately tried to twist himself between my legs to hide, forcing me to stop walking. Juno lowered her head, and hackles raised, began growling deep in her throat. A low and dangerous sound, obviously a response to something she considered a threat. As I stopped moving, the footsteps in the trees also stopped. I looked in the direction they were coming from, but not enough of the moonlight was making it through the trees for me to be able to see more than a foot or so into them. I decided that we needed to get the hell out of there, and fast. Even if it wasn't all the way home, or I still wasn't sure where I was, I wanted to be out of those woods right now. I began moving again almost at a jog. Sam stayed on my heels, and Juno ran in small bursts beside me, stopping every few seconds to stare barking and snarling into the trees. I called her name to keep her close by, and my heart stopped when I heard it echoed back to me from the woods. It sounded exactly like my voice at first, repeating over and over. But as I listened, the voice got lower and more evil-sounding. Juno started going ballistic, racing back and forth along the tree line, barking and growling and losing her shit like she was going to murder whatever it was that was frightening her. I tried calling her back to my side, but she was beyond paying any attention to me in her rage and terror, and she took off between the trees. I screamed for her to come back, but I heard her barks getting further away. She didn't get far, and the sound cut off completely all at once. I didn't know what had happened. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear her anymore. Sam sat at my feet, shaking and whimpering. I didn't know what to do. I've never been so scared in my life, but I had to help my dog. I told Sam to stay and took a step towards the tree line. I heard my voice echoed back again, and then a low, dark laugh. I got three steps into the woods when a dark figure stepped out from behind a tree about twenty feet in front of me. I couldn't make out any details except its massive height. It looked to be at least eight or nine feet tall, and then I saw its eyes. Two burning yellow orbs floating in the darkness where its face was an evil, sickly light shining from them. I froze in absolute terror, every hair on my body standing on end and feeling like an electrical surge of fear was coursing through my veins. I turned and ran. I was out of the trees and back on the unfamiliar road in a blink and running as fast as I could go. I saw Sam race past me and continue on into the darkness. I can't blame him. I wished I could move that fast. I heard something big running through the trees on my right, and turned to see the shadow of the creature easily pacing me through the woods, its terrible glowing gaze fixed only on me. Suddenly, it veered out of the woods and straight at me. I tried to spin around it, but I felt sharp claws dig into my skin, and powerful arms wrap around me, and I was hurled to the ground. I couldn't move. The smell was all around me, filling my head and lungs and making it hard to breathe. Whatever it was had flung me away from itself to the road, and I heard it approach me slowly. I kept my eyes tightly closed. I felt its hands on me as it leaned down towards me, and its breath on my neck, and I was sure it was about to tear out my throat. I squeezed my eyes closed even tighter and waited for the pain. Suddenly, daylight was searing my closed eyelids. I sat up in bed, confused and disoriented, before relief flooded through my body, and I actually laughed out loud. A dream? Still chuckling to myself, I got up and answered the call of nature, and went to let the dogs out into the yard to do the same. But I couldn't find either of them. Standing in the kitchen, I called to them several times, but neither of them came. I began searching the house. I checked everywhere on the main floor, even opening doors that had been closed to check the rooms behind them, but nothing. Beginning to panic, I started down the basement stairs and heard a low whimper, 
I got to the bottom and called out to them again. The whimper came again, along with a quiet shuffling from the far corner of the basement, and I made my way over there. I found Sam curled up tight and shaking, obviously beyond terrified behind a pile of stuff that stored down there. He had worked his way in behind a stack of boxes and was clearly trying to hide. Juno wasn't with him. I reached down and stroked his head, speaking to him softly. He gave me a half-hearted lick on my hand, but I couldn't comfort him or convince him to come out of his hiding place. I decided to let him be for a few minutes so he could see that everything was okay. But where was Juno? I searched the rest of the basement with no luck. She just wasn't there. I began running through the house, not really thinking about what I was doing, just in a blind panic to find my dog. I found myself in my bedroom again and decided to look out into the backyard. I pulled the cord to lift the blinds, and in the middle of the screen were three long slashes. The screen was cut to shreds. Even with the morning sun high and bright in the sky, my blood turned to ice as I stood there looking at those tears. I turned from the window and walked through the house to the back door, where I put my shoes on and made my way outside. Juno wasn't in the yard either. I checked all three of my sheds, but was only greeted by the usual stuff. Pop cans ready for the recycling depot, the various instruments of lawn maintenance, and stuff that has no place in the house anymore, but just hasn't made it to the dump yet. But no Juno. I walked back through the yard to the gate leading to the front of the house and through it. In my front yard there is a small tree, and on the side facing the street there was a squirrel nailed through its chest. It was just hanging there, blood running down the tree trunk, but still wet, so it couldn't have been there very long. On the sidewalk under the tree, I found three strange symbols, written in what I can only assume was blood from the squirrel. I don't know what they are, or what they mean, but looking at them scared me. As I stared at them, it's like I was held in place and couldn't look away. The world around me began to fade out, and from inside my head, I heard a pulsing drumbeat. I bit down hard on my lip, hard enough to draw blood, and the world came sharply back into focus. The drums disappeared, and I blinked and shook my head trying to clear it. What the hell just happened? I had no answers to my self-query, and so I decided to move on. I got my hammer to remove the nail, some gloves, and the garden hose, and I did what needed to be done to clean up the awful mess before any kids could see it, and carried on trying to find Juno. I spent the better part of the morning walking up and down the streets of my little town calling for her, but she never showed up. A group of neighborhood kids saw what I was doing and came to see if I needed help. I gave them a description of my girl, thanked them, and kept looking. By mid-afternoon, I had covered every street and back alley three times and saw no sign of Juno. I decided to jump in the car and tour around the back roads outside of town. I cruised in growing circles, around and around, but still found nothing, so I did the only other thing I could think of. I went home and made up a pile of missing dog flyers and put them up everywhere. Then I just sort of walked around town again, hoping I would spot her. By sunset, I still had no idea where she might be. I decided to head on home and make sure Sam was okay. I found him still cowering in the same spot in the basement, but this time, after about an hour of coaxing and reassuring him, I was able to get him upstairs. I made a light supper of smoked sausage and pierogies, but I didn't really want it. Neither did Sam. I couldn't even interest him in sausages. He was still terrified. We called it a night around 11.30 and went to bed. I lay there for a couple hours, staring at the ceiling and stroking Sam's head. I was scared and tired and sad, terribly worried about Juno, and I didn't think I'd get any sleep at all. The next thing I knew, I was being woken up by barking from my backyard. I looked over at the bedside clock to see that it was 3.02 a.m. Sam wasn't in the bed beside me anymore. I heard the barking again and quickly sat up, throwing back the blanket. I knew that bark as well as my own voice. Juno was outside. I ran to the closed back door and was about to throw it open when I heard the whining coming from the basement again, louder this time. Sam was back in his hiding spot. 
I thought it was strange that he wasn't at the door himself, waiting for his best friend to come home, but in my excitement at having Juno back, I didn't spare much time thinking about it. I quickly unlocked and pulled the heavy storm door open to see an empty deck. Hearing Juno bark again, I realized she was out in the dark yard instead of waiting at the door to be let in. I have an outside light that's motion activated and works on a timer. When you first turn it on, it only stays lit for 30 seconds before shutting off again. I flipped the switch up and opened the screen door to step outside. I immediately recoiled from the smell. That odor of rot, death, and decay that I was surrounded by in my dream the previous night. The air was thick and heavy with the stench. I covered my mouth and nose and walked further out onto the deck so I could see the yard beyond it. Just out of the range of the light, I could see my dog. She sat there in the shadows looking away from me. Feeling wary and confused, I called to her, asking her where she'd been all day. She began to turn her head towards me, and the light clicked off. I quietly whispered, Juno? And as she looked at me, her eyes lit up with that same unearthly yellow glare I had seen in my dream. My breath caught in my throat, and I stumbled backwards, tripping over my feet and landing sprawled on my back. I heard Juno start to growl down low in her throat, and I began to thrash backwards toward the door in utter desperate terror. The growl turned into the same evil laughter I remembered from my dream as I found the wall and regained my feet, throwing myself back through the door and into the house. I slammed the storm door shut and heard Sam from the basement once again, this time not whimpering, but howling in fright. My heartbeat was pounding in my ears. I was shaking and crying in abject fear. This couldn't be real. This had all been a dream. Hadn't it? I made my way to my sliding glass patio doors and looked out into the yard once again. She, it, was still there, just sitting in the middle of the yard, staring into the house with those demon lantern eyes. I sat in the kitchen all night listening to Sam cry out his fear in the basement. I couldn't leave the window to comfort him. I was terrified of what might happen if I didn't watch the thing in my yard that looked like my poor lost pup. Just before dawn, it got up, made its way towards the fence, and vanished in the shadows. That was three nights ago now, and it's come back every night since. It wakes me up at 3am without fail, barking and chuckling under my bedroom window until I get up and watch it. I tried ignoring it last night, but after about 20 minutes, a tapping and scraping sound started on the window, and I'm terrified of letting things escalate any further. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know how it looks just like my dog or what it wants from me, only that I'm scared and sleep-deprived, and I feel like I've lost my grip on reality. I'm afraid to look. I'm afraid to not look. I'm afraid of what will happen to me, or to Sam, if this thing decides that it wants in the house. The only thing I'm sure of now is that it will keep coming back, night after night after night. Thank you for joining me at the Mystic Lighthouse. If you have a story you'd like to share, send it to themysticlighthouse at gmail.com and join us next week for a brand new episode. But until then, keep scanning the horizon. The Mystic Lighthouse is a part of the ACAST Creators Network.